The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk about ticks. Wait, I thought we were talking about tick-borne illnesses. Oh, that's better. I'm not an etymologist. Etymology is a study of word origins, Michael. That's what I said. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You know, what? now that we've got all these video stuff going, <laughs> I'm going to be paying attention to all my physical ticks. Yes. Well, over and over. Speaking I have of ticks. to watch your physical ticks every single day. Terrible. That's Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you? I'm doing great, Patty Devers. How are you? Meh. What? what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what are you talking about no, meh? I'm totally crushing I've it. I've never heard of meh out of your mouth totally before. Totally crushing it. I didn't even know you knew meh. Meh. Anyway. Yeah. So this is a podcast. Yes. It's called The Lab Report. It it's uh-huh. where we talk about things like functional medicine, yeah. specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and it is brought to you on behalf of Genova Diagnostics. So thank you to Genova. Thank you, Genova. And you know, if you like this sort of content, you like this show, mm-hmm. Patty, what can they do? They can listen to the show, download it, go to iTunes, You should, you should probably listen first. Anywhere podcasts can be found. Yes. And maybe subscribe, rate, review, leave us some stars, all that good stuff. Do the stuff, smash the buttons, leave us yes. some reviews. Uh, Please. And you can also, if you have additional feedback, send that to podcast at gdx.net. We've got some really great Aww, emails did. recently. Positive reinforcement makes us Beautiful. feel like we're doing something decent here. Beautiful so. words. Shout out to Dr. Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for that email. It's great. Um, I hate ticks. I know you hate ticks. I, I like, thought you hated my, ants because I, ants so was your number the, one. Tick, oh, so on the top five. Suddenly it's ticks. Or the Mount Rushmore. I mean, ticks have right. to be on the Mount Rushmore okay. for me. Ants certainly are up there. Um, hornets also. Right. Come on. I What's with these. insects? Every insect? Look, insects, I mean, they, they bite, they sting, they give disease. No. It's like ticks. So, they're, yeah. They're they've important. Got, there's a lot of reasons. No. Well, they're important for the ecosystem. Well, yeah, they're good food for something. But I'm, right. other than that. From my life standpoint, <laughs> top of the food chain, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, have you ever been bitten by a tick, Michael? I have. Really? Uh, yeah, I have been bitten by a tick. As a grown-up or as an adult? As as a grown-up. <laughs> uh, so, as a child or an adult? As a grown-up. Uh, <laughs> we we noticed it fairly quickly, so there wasn't any real concern about okay. tick-borne illnesses. Or, so with ticks... The longer that they are uh, on you mm-hmm. and become engorged, that's really when the, the right. danger comes in. So, no, yes. how about you? Have you ever been bit by a tick? No, because ticks are mainly outside. And there's true. not a lot of ticks in my living room <laughs> watching true. YouTube. Yeah, you do have to go so, outside. <laughs> that's a big no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Would you be able to identify a tick? Do you I've even never, know what they look I like? I have never seen a tick. Have you? <laughs> I grew up in the Northeast, and even with my sisters and being outside as kids, I don't think I've ever even seen a tick. Which is amazing. I've seen pictures of ticks. All through medical school, etc. Never seen a tick. <laughs> Sorry. Except for on me. That's right. My my own ticks. That's right. Okay, so Michael Chapman, if you are such a tick expert, let's talk ticks. <laughs> let's do a tick talk. Tell I, us I the do basics like entomology. Of ticks. Um, <laughs> entomology. <laughs> I got it that time. Thanks. So 
there's lots of different kinds of ticks, mm-hmm. um, right. and different ticks can carry different diseases. Yes. And if you go to the CDC website and look at tick-borne illnesses, there are a ton of Bunch different of diseases yeah. that these monsters can carry around Come with on. them. No, it's, it's fair. Back off the ticks. No, I'm not going to. And oh so goodness. what they can carry kind of depends on what they've been around. It's, it's somewhat random, right. I think. So let me start with a couple different ticks. We've got... The dog tick. We do. Uh, and we also have the deer tick. And these are probably two of our most common that transmit disease. And the mm-hmm. deer tick, uh, common or Latin name is Ixodes, that can carry the bacteria for Lyme, uh, Borrelia burgdorferi. They can carry Babesia and generally doesn't carry Rickettsia, which is Rocky Mountain spotted fever, although the dog tick and some other ticks can carry the other two, but not Lyme. Lyme is pretty much specific for uh, the deer tick. Let, let me complain about rickettsia. Okay, sure. Because as I'm complaining about ticks, you can actual, complain about bacteria. The actual agent for Rocky Mountain spotted fever carried by the dog tick, like you said, is rickettsia, rickettsii. Now, that's a really unimaginative and an uncreative name, named after some guy <laughs> named Ricketts, who is clearly an egomaniac. <laughs> Johnny Ricketts <laughs> knew him in high school. But I mean, that's that's basically the thing. The, t- yeah. the takeaway here is that there's a lot of different kinds of ticks, and there's a lot of different things that ticks can carry, and it's somewhat random. So just having a tick bite doesn't necessarily mean you need to uh, immediately be concerned that you're developing a disease. Good point. Uh, different di- different ticks circulate in different areas of the country, so location right. plays a role, right. and also how long the tick has been feeding. The feed time of the tick dramatically increases the likelihood that they could transmit disease because basically they have sort of a reservoir and as that reservoir gets filled as they're feeding, then the contents that were in there, like the bacteria, that's when they it could get into your system. Okay, you sold me. That's disgusting. It's Ticks are gross. They're awful. I mean, I lived in a house that had a ton of ticks in the yard and it was like and then they started in the spring summer every once in a while they'd be like you'd see it crawling up the wall and be like well (laughs) guess we have to burn the house down (laughs) or move I would just move that's a better idea but to your point not all ticks cause diseases but there are some really common diseases that are caused by ticks and let's just hit some of the big players some of the heavy hitters sounds good where do you want to start I want to start with my friend Mr. Ricketts okay because I'm against Whoever this PhD <laughs> it really bothers was. you. It does. I'm like, Rickettsia, Rickettsia. I mean, if, what about alliteration? You like alliteration. I do. I do. So this is just I a bigger form I love a good alliteration. But that being said, I'm also starting here because we're in North Carolina. Uh. And Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is fairly prevalent here. There are very, there's only we a couple We should call it Smoky Mountain Wow. Fever, right? Good one. I'm just saying. That's a good the one. The Rocky Mountains are far away. What a great they point. Can't, they can't really get much farther. Though... It is over in the southwestern United States, too, so really. Okay, We can't enough. just say All right. Smoky Mountain. They got smoke. it first. They <laughs> called dibs. But to your point, these dog ticks mm-hmm. carry this specific bacteria called Rickettsia rickettsii. Yeah. And if you're bit by one of these ticks, and to your point, it swells up. There's a lot of engorgement to this tick. Mm-hmm. You may get infected with this Rickettsia rickettsii and contract Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which is not fun. Sure. Right. Is because uh, we think of the classic bullseye sign with a tick. Do you get the classic no, bullseye no. with Rocky Mountain spotted fever? No. And in fact, there's a small percentage of people who never even develop a rash, but usually it's more like a macular papular rash, and it's usually on like your your um, wrists and your forearms and your ankles and places like that. And you get like petechiae. 
eventually. It's like the little could. reds. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's it gets scary. more dangerous. Right? This is this, is, this one is one of the scary ones. Yeah, and especially for little kids. Right. This is. Right. I remember, you know, anytime we'd go hiking, we were like neurotic with the kids yeah. about checking every single place and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's good to know to just be aware of for in your area, certainly if you're in this area or you're in the Rocky Mountains, I guess, yeah. too, um, <laughs> that this is a possibility. And it's yeah. also very dangerous. We we think so much about Lyme, but, um, you know, these other oh. ones are problematic. Yeah, this one's very problematic because you get like high fever and headache. Eventually you could get altered mental status, coma, respiratory compromise. And they say that this is one of them where your fatality rates can range from 20 to 80 percent. If wow. and and had prior to the discovery of things like tetracycline or antibiotics, so this is one that needs antibiotics pretty early on, or could become fatal. Yeah, you kind of don't want to mess around with it. No. Yeah. Um. And antibiotic is the main treatment that's used, and right. the earlier intervention, the right. better. That's right. Um. Okay. Well, so another one that's on my mind is uh, babesiosis, uh, and that's fun to say. It kind of is. Right. It kind of is, and this is also caught can be carried by the uh, the deer tick or the dog tick as well. Um, and so, so I have some information pulled up here about okay. it. And um, let me just stop and say, when you have a list of symptoms, <laughs> and then you look down at the very bottom, and it just says death with a period. <laughs> It's like, it's not a good thing to have. Um, And it seems like there's things that that make uh, risk factors dramatically worse. So if you have a compromised immune system, um, like, for example, if you don't have a spleen, other serious health conditions, then uh, this makes this even more problematic. But what it does is um, you typically will develop flu-like symptoms first, you know, fevers, chills, things like Uh that. But it can develop into hemolytic anemia. So uh, for those who don't know what that is, it's essentially your your red blood cells get destroyed. Right. Um, And that can lead to jaundice and and severe other complications as well. It can also cause low platelet count. Um, And some of the more serious things is disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC. Mm Mm-hmm. None of those words do you want anything <laughs> a part of. Well, I will say, when I think of babesiosis, I think of the red blood cell because it, it is caused by that parasite that infects the red blood cells. And anyone who's taking like boards, internal medicine boards, yeah. they always throw that slide up there as a picture to, to identify, even though babesiosis is fairly rare. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, again, if you get bit by a tick um, yep. then, and then you start to develop flu-like symptoms, you get your booty to the <laughs> hospital. Yes. Okay? Um, Good plan. And actually, it's it's interesting. You were talking about Rocky Mountain spotted yeah. fever. Uh, my my wife's uncle actually developed it. and I think, Babesiosis? No, Rocky Mountain oh. spotted fever. Oh, uh, And he almost died. Uh, See? It, he, like, basically, I, I think, it waited uh, several days. See? Was like, I'll get over it. These you know, things. That sort of things. Yeah. Outdoorsy people. Are like, I got it. <laughs> so <laughs> but, dirt uh, on it. Right. Exactly. And it's <laughs> like, oh, you're almost dead. So, um, yeah, you just got to be careful with any sort of. This is just one of the reasons why ticks are the worst. Okay. I'm starting the to. I'm, worst. I'm on your team on this now. Okay. You've convinced me. Well, and the other thing about it, too, is it's it's usually not even the big ticks. It's the nymphs and stuff that tend to <laughs> to be the problem. So it's like not only are they disgusting and gross and carry a disease, <laughs> they're hard to see, too. So, <laughs> God, can we, well, get, can we get rid of them? Well, what about when they're engorged? Like, they must be visible. They, well, yes. At right. that point, they tend yeah. to be. But then the damage is already done. That's fair. That's a good point. 
So what we've been kind of burying the lead on this a little bit. Yeah. And, I, you know, you just talked about babesiosis, and it's carried by the deer tick. And you've mentioned the Ixodes deer tick several times. Mm. But I think when people hear tick-borne illnesses or we think about ticks, the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is Lyme disease. Yes. And when I think about Lyme uh-huh. disease, I think about Plum Island. What? <laughs> no. Well, you huh? think about Lyme, Connecticut. Isn't that where this was discovered and so named? Sure. Um, what are you saying? Oh, you haven't heard about the Plum Island conspiracy? We need <laughs> no. to, like conspiracy theory music. I think yes. I have something, actually. Let me do this. All right, let's spooky, hear this. scary. Oh, yeah. This is, you know, it, there's all sorts of stuff always out there, right? So it's always fun to kind of bring some of Here we go. All right. Plum Island. All right, let's hear the Plum Island uh, controversy, it, sir. I don't know it all that well, oh. but essentially there's, okay. there's people out there who are suggesting that Lyme was created at a lab off the coast of New York, very, very close to Lyme, Connecticut. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are are you suggesting that the conspiracy theorists are saying that this Lyme disease was created in a lab? Yes. That's that's, that's how it goes really because interesting. Well, okay, so this is a there's a government facility building there, or several. Okay. Um and the the purpose, as stated, you can go to Wikipedia and look it up. The purpose is essentially to study animal-borne illnesses for agriculture. It's actually part of the Department of Homeland Security. Come on. Seriously. So they study Animal transmission diseases. All right, let's talk about Lyme disease. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a conspiracy theory. Like, you, there's a totally. million of these out there. Totally. Right? So. Well, if we're going to start with Lyme disease, we already just said it comes from the deer tick. And I think what most people know about Lyme disease is that bullseye rash, that erythema migrans. Yeah, it's classic. It's a hallmark sign. Mm-hmm. But it's important mm-hmm. to note that not everyone develops the Correct. bullseye rash, too. So it's oh. not a telltale. Yeah, for real. And some people just get random symptoms like flu-like symptoms right. or swollen lymph nodes, lymphadenopathy. So it's important to keep an eye out. To Michael's point, if you have any type of flu-like symptoms after any tick bite, right. it can be very serious. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so Lyme has a lot of different aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit about the uh, Borrelia which okay. is, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bacteria, but it's a kind of unique kind of bacteria in that it's a spirochete. Cool. So given the name, um, because it has kind of a spirally sort of structure to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that structure is very, very unique from a pathogen perspective. And right. it, it plays a big role in how it is able to evade and escape the immune system. Um, so there has been this incredible controversy for a long time around uh, the the reality, the existence of chronic Lyme or not, mm. and to what degree sure. it manifests in people. Right. So you know right. this is this is why this is always so difficult. I think for us to talk about as integrative and functional medicine practitioners because um, you know it's just so easy to walk right into the buzzsaw depending on where you land on this yeah. conversation. And so also, true. very true. I mean, each side is very fervent in its opinion. It's like, nope, there's no Mm -hmm. chronic Lyme. And it's like, (laughs) oh, if you don't think there's chronic Lyme, then you're not a real doctor. Well, the reason that that people think that there is chronic Lyme or people doubt that there's chronic Lyme is that because the symptoms mimic so many other things, like there's rheumatologic manifestations, Mm -hmm. there's cardiac manifestations, there's neurology, neurologic things. So some of them are vague and can overlap and be other things. And some people say, no, this is chronic Lyme. Yeah, and I can see it, honestly, from, you know, the conventional side of the aisle, too, because how often is it that there you go online for some particular condition, symptom, right. umbrella term, uh, and it's the laundry list of symptoms, right? Correct. And it's always similar sort of stuff, uh-huh. like headaches, fatigue, and it's sort of like, yep. oh, I've got the... I've got 
15 of the 20 symptoms, I must have this. And from the from their perspective, I could see where they're like, here we go again. You know? <laughs> that's so true. But so that, true. that's like not real either. Like you can't just throw something out because you're tired of listening to it. Right, right. But I'll, th- I'll tell you that some of the controversy, controversy around this also falls in the testing because the serologic tests for mm-hmm. Lyme are notoriously confusing and are often not sensitive enough in the early stages to even pick it up. Right. And then, then we're looking at, are you looking at IgGs? Are you looking at IgMs? What's the antibody persistence? Do they come and go? So testing also adds to the controversy. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And there has been, you know, fair enough. There's been a lot of inaccuracies on that front too, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, there's some out there where it's like, well, I'm getting like an 80% positivity rate. That's right. And my practice is in Alaska. <laughs> At least I assume there's not a lot of ticks there. It's yeah. pretty cold, oh. cold up there. Ticks don't like cold. Um, How do you know? Yeah, they come out in the summer, and Fair. the hotter it is, mm-hmm. usually the more there are. Okay. And the thing that's so fascinating about this whole controversy is, like, yeah. I just pulled up a paper from 2020, and it was like, well, what we need to do is determine whether this is hype or hypothesis, and we need to falsify the hypothesis. Like, what? how have we not figured this out yet? Right, right. We, we have, like, all this different testing. We have PCR. We or PCRing everything. <laughs> um, you can isolate the bacteria. You can. So can't you take people who have chronic Lyme and say, hey, look, we found Borrelia still in the system. Like, yeah. how hard is that? Yeah, I mean, you could do that, but there's a lot of caution around that because sometimes you can't detect Borrelia in blood in active or chronic disease because there are inhibitory substances that can cause a false negative. And in fact... They talk about PCR being helpful as an aid in diagnosis, but not considered diagnostic by itself, and that you always have to go back to the clinical presentation. Like, even if someone has an erythema migrans or that bullseye rash, in and of itself Mm -hmm. is diagnostic in a clinical situation. You don't even need serology. Mm. So that's why there's so much controversy around how people are testing for both acute and chronic Lyme. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I will say, it, it seems like it's kind of one of those things where enough it, enough people just have to turn around or retire or something. Yeah. Because, I mean, I do have a paper here, and admittedly, it's the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society. So I'm, I don't know their background, and I, I, don't I kind of assume their position. But right. in this um, very thorough paper, here, I'll, what's titled uh, Chronic Lyme Disease and Evidence-Based Definition by awesome. the ILADS Working Group. So one of the sections here is on essentially the pathophysiology of chronic Lyme. And so when they're talking about persistent infection being demonstrated in patients with Lyme disease by PCR and culture, Mm. um, they've got like 6 million references right after it. Like it's just like lines of references across the article. So um, not being an expert in this field, completely admittedly, I'm going to butcher a lot of this because it's it's not my specialty. (laughs) Mine either. But that seems like pretty compelling evidence. And when are we going to stop arguing about it? That's a great question. And so I also think there's another facet to it because, sure, uh, false negatives are possible, but it could also be possible that the Borrelia gets cleared either via antibiotic or the the systemic immune system, but there is still reactivity based on the tick-borne illness, right? Right, because the inflammatory cascade and antibodies and all those things. Antibodies that can end up in your joints and cause types of arthritis, and so there's a lot to it. Yeah, but it is fascinating with this little spirochete because basically what they're thinking as far as 
why there's chronic Lyme, even despite treatment, is you know it has this capacity to kind of burrow into tissues, Sneaky. which is called immune evasion. Right. Um, it can also do its own immune modulation and suppression of uh, some of your immune cells and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a pretty nasty little thing. Right. So how do we kill it? What do we do? <laughs> well, much like the the Burn others, it with fire. we you could try that. But it's really just antibiotics, just like you said for the prior ones, doxycycline, amoxicillin. And those, that's kind of the, the conventional way just to go at this bacteria. Well, yeah. And ironically, it's not just the conventional way. Correct. There's a lot of integrative medicine doctors, functional medicine doctors also using long-term antibiotic mm -hmm. use for Lyme disease. And so um, the degree to which that's effective, there's a lot of debate there. And there's people who've lost their license for doing this. Because you're wiping out the entire microbiome. You're not just looking for that. Borrelia. I mean, there's a lot of systemic effects to antibiotics. So, yeah, that's true. That's not. I mean, they've lost their license because basically, uh, for a long time, state medical boards are like, "This is not a thing. Why are you treating another yeah, thing?" Yeah. And so totally. That that was part of the controversy for a long time as well. And so, I I just think it's. So you could consider other things on top of that um, to help support the system. Anytime you know, you're talking about antibiotics, and you mentioned the microbiome and stuff like that, supporting the microbiome from that perspective, but. As with any chronic disease, if we're talking about chronic Lyme, it's mm -hmm. a chronic disease. And so whether it's caused by the invader still being present or an imbalance in the system, you have to support the system. You have to optimize. And I believe that the degree to which somebody is susceptible or having a hard time overcoming, um, it's going to be person, person to person. But you also want to address the root cause of any sort of inflammation, any sort of immune activation or immune suppression, mitochondrial function, like all of it. Because the stronger, the more robust the system is, the better you're going to be able to tolerate the antibiotics if you're doing that, and the better you're going to be able to clear it. So, like, it's it's all about going back to the things we're always talking about with it. I was just going to say that. Health like, optimization. So, so what I heard here was, it depends, which is kind of what we <laughs> say every day. And get to the root cause. Treat the whole system. So, yeah. yeah. And that's not to say that the Borrelia is not the root cause. Like, it's that would be silly. But that's, everything is multifactorial and chronic mm -hmm. disease, I guess, is what I'm trying that's to say. That's right. The other thing that occurs to me, Michael, mm -hmm. is that within functional and integrative precision medicine, chronic Lyme is a big topic. It's a hot topic. It's a big buzzword. Sure. And admittedly, you and I are not experts We're in not. this topic. But no. I think it might be helpful for some audience members, if we did our own separate Chronic Lyme podcast episode, and we maybe reach out to some of those experts to see if we can get them on the show. Yeah, that's a great idea. We should probably have done that for this one, actually. <laughs> next time on The Lab Report, we're not going to be here, but the next time after that, we're going to have Dr. Tom Williams. <laughs> we're going to talk all things immunity. We can ask him about Lyme. Yeah! You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know... When you brought up spirochete, you saw me reach for a piece of paper and write down something quickly. Yes. I was writing down spirograph. Remember oh, spirograph? Yeah. Those are, they still got those. I, they do. And I was like, I got to get one of those. They're that cool. Huh? We need yeah. one for the department. Have you seen like the stuff that like w with relation to the gravitational fields, it draws pictures? Have you ever seen no. these things? Not a spirograph. You're talking about it's something else? Nah, it's something else. Yeah. I, 
I think it's called like a harmonograph or mm. something like that. We had one in college. Um, cool. And it also makes me, okay, nature's so cool. <laughs> right? Nature is cool. So have you heard of cymatics? I, now you're just making words up. No, 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 no. So what they do is they use sound frequencies oh. attached, and then they yes, pour I've sand on the I've table. Seen that. Okay, yes. if you guys, yes, ask, if you that. haven't seen, seen that, that, go to YouTube. Type yes. in cymatics sand, C Y M A. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. 